This is the DevHops Podcast. Welcome to DevHops, the podcast where ideas about enterprise dev test environments flow freely. I'm your host, Noel Wurst, Editor-in-Chief of the SkyTap blog, and just a quick disclaimer, all ideas expressed here are those of our show guests and not necessarily that of SkyTap. Today we have two guests on tap for our discussion, Lori McVitie, Principal Technical Evangelist at F5, and our own Galactic Head of Product Marketing, Jason English. I'll be moderating, and today we will ask and try to answer, will virtualization and cloud finally beat physical reality at its own application availability game? We hope you enjoy the show. Let's begin. Uh, one thing I wanted to do to kind of get started was to kind of get each of your kind of definitions of, of what we mean by virtualization in the sense that, that we're using it today. <laughs> wow, I didn't know that one was was contentious. Usually it's what does cloud mean? Not, right. What does virtualization mean? Right. That's interesting. And actually, you know, now that you mention it, you know, there there probably is some differences in, in what people call virtualization, especially, you know, as we see things like containers and, and Docker coming mm-hmm. on the scene. Um, but, you know, virtualization, it's abstraction, right? So it's abstracting the hardware. So mm-hmm. that it can be, you know, used by applications, operating systems, what have you, in a more consistent way. So that you can move and not be tied to the hardware. You know, in 10 years ago when we, you know, tried to install an operating system, we had to have all the right drivers and all of the right updates. And, you know, we had to tweak settings and change which IRQ this COM port was on and that one was on. And, and virt- you know, it got better. But virtualization really took it another step further and said, you know, don't worry about what the underlying hardware looks like. Don't worry about where those resources are coming from. Just talk to us and we'll make sure that you can talk to whatever kind of hardware might be under there and we'll basically work out all those issues. And, you know, so virtualization, whether it's sitting on, you know, COTS on an HP or a Dell or some white box server or even as we start moving into the network, whether it's sitting on a, a more custom piece of hardware, if it's virtualized, it's really about the, the the environment that that creates that lets you deploy multiple instances on the same hardware, but also about how you can move that around from one to another without having to worry about, you know, do I have all the right things in the settings on each of these different pieces of hardware? That's um, it's certainly something that we you know, kind of uh, address here at, at SkyTap is being able to to add, you know, add virtualization to this to the uh, pre-production uh, area of the uh, of the SDLC and being able to uh, virtualize these these assets that were uh, not just cumbersome but but also hard to come by uh, took a long time to set up uh, and uh, th- there grew a lot of uh, contention to, to to hang on to those once you actually managed to get them for yourself um, more than likely on the the dev and test side you've probably been waiting for them for a for a really long time yeah uh, that's and and no I I really agree. With that side of things, it's almost like people have made. When you're looking at cloud now, people have almost made it synonymous with virtualization, just in a remote sense, right? So, 
I think when, when virtualization first came out, it was like this one, it was this one-time huge hit of economic impact, right? Mm -hmm. Replacing all this un underutilized capacity in servers with something that's far more efficiently using that hardware. Um, and as we move into cloud, we're starting to see that you know the potential of virtualization is um, it's kind of inhibited if we, if we let ourselves uh, let VM sprawl happen if we let the uh, you know the spread of hardware affect how I'm going to use my uh, uh, development and test system. So uh, we need to find ways to more efficiently manage how we're using virtual assets, just like we were with our uh, the assets in our data center. That's a really good point that you don't you don't gain a lot of the benefits of virtualization or cloud if you treat virtual assets like you would hardware assets mm -hmm. as physical ones that you really have to rethink how you're managing them deploying them provisioning them everything has to has to really kind of also change in order to take advantage of that and not just end up in a we just have more of what we used to have so uh, Jason one of the things that you had brought up as we were kind of discussing the topic for this was uh, since we've started developing and, and hosting virtual versions, you know, of solutions, no matter what they are, is that obviously that demand is increasing? I think uh, it's it's probably just natural that that by expanding it to the pre-production uh, area of the SDLC, that 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 demand uh, is only going to increase. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll I would definitely say that there's a huge demand for making uh, a cloud environments. Uh, use virtual assets to become as production-like as possible. Um, now, obviously, there's some kind of asymptote where we're going to reach a, um, you know, kind of like the topic of this, this discussion where we're going to reach an end of, of you know, how much uh, realism can you get to? Can you really be like production? Um, and it might be 99.9995% right. by the time we really get there. But uh, we're not there yet. So, uh, Lori, one of the reasons that I wanted to, to have this 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 conversation today was I had uh, read the, the the 2015 state of application delivery uh, report that that F5 put out, and then I, I saw the webinar after it, which was fantastic, and, and I agreed. I, I was uh, initially surprised that that availability uh, ended up being the the uh, I guess number one priority uh, amongst those developing these uh, these applications, uh, and that it was even ahead of security was really surprising, but. But then again, as I kind of uh, certainly during the webinar and, and, and read some some other material, it, it kind of became clear to me that that availability really may be priority number one for for everybody, and that if the application is not available, again, that's to the people that are uh, uh, building it or to those who are using it, security isn't really a factor because there's there's nothing there to be able to to be used. Well, yeah, that's it. If there's nothing, if there's nothing up, there's nothing to attack. Right. right? There's no place to, to go. There's nothing to do. Um, you know, I think, you know, availability encompasses pieces of security. There are, you know, certainly different types of security attacks that are designed specifically to destroy availability. Mm -hmm. Same thing with performance. You know, people, you see it with. I guess non-technical people, right? If they're trying to load a site or, or get, load a page and it it's slow, they can't tell the difference whether it's just really slow or if it's down. Mm, so right. really poor performance can look just like unavailability, and it gets treated that way. It just you leave and you never come back, or you're angry, or you say something horrible on Twitter, and you know the world explodes. But so you know, I think 
availability is that important? If if the app is not there, you can't do business, you can't engage, you can't talk to people, you can't do pretty much anything these days if if it's not available. So it's, you're right, surprising, because security is usually always number one for everything, whether mm-hmm. it's why are you not adopting or why are you adopting. It's always security. So to see that was surprising, but once we started thinking about it, it just it really makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That's funny that you talked about the difference between you know being slow and unavailable. I've been dealing with some some internet issues here at a here at my house over the last couple of weeks, and it's involved countless phone calls to to my internet service provider and lots of barking by me and getting angry all kinds of stuff. And it ended up not being their issue at all. It was an issue with the the uh, the, the router that I had. Um, it was just running slow. It really had never actually been available, or it had never actually been unavailable. But that slowness, and to me, to be able to work and do the things that I need to do, you know, at a certain point, slowness becomes unavailable. Right. I think part of how cloud uh, became more popular is that people started trusting it for more aspects of security, and that it is, you know, you have a managed, whether it's a managed service provider or infrastructure as a service or someone where we're providing environments as a service, right? You're kind of trusting those providers to. To lift up the standards of of uh, security, you know, maybe beyond what I could even do inside my own company by having specialists, right? Mm-hmm. So, as far as that service is concerned, you know, we've uh, that's one way to look at it as um, you know why security isn't as big of a concern as availability itself, because the amount of uh, just from our own perspective, I mean, the amount of traffic or development and test usage has gone up. You know, at least double over the course of every, you know, four to six months. So, um, you know, you see a lot of attention there. And what uh, people also don't understand the distinction, obviously, as you work in these environments, that there's a difference between what's my bandwidth and what is my uh, the speed of my the performance of my actual cloud solution, right? And they have to know they have to know uh, what that trade-off is. So we have to kind of take responsibility to help measure what is my what is my, you know, bandwidth performance? And just so I can at least prove that it's the network and not the application, right? Yeah, it's a, a good point. The difference between bandwidth and throughput and actual performance and being able to tell whether it's the network or the application itself or, you know, just the application to the database and back. That's usually where significant amounts of, of latency are introduced is, you know, in there is just one poorly crafted SQL statement is just really dragging everything down and it's it's really difficult to tell sometimes people you know don't dig into it it's it's easy for a developer the first thing you're going to do is point at the network especially in the cloud where you don't have anything to do with it right it's easy to just say hey it's your fault Um, but more often it's probably something in the application or in the way that it's communicating that's causing this problem something similar that between skytap and f5 is that we're kind of delivering solutions that are obviously being de- uh, developed by our developers, but they're also largely being used by developers as well. This isn't just going out to, uh, to uh, end users outside of our, uh, outside of our offices. Uh, I was kind of curious as to, to how this is similar as far as serving, you know, the, the, basically the similarities and the differences between serving end users that are not truly at that application's you know, end of the line. You're, you're serving somewhere, serving someone there in the the actual SDLC, like as far as virtualization is concerned, and, and these new technologies, is, is there a difference between pleasing someone who's uh, in development or engineering or IT rather than 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 um than, than looking to 
please maybe uh, an actual end user. Yeah, there's similarities for sure. Um, I mean, I, you know, a certain level of customer service and responsiveness is expected. Um, you know, I think it might be higher in in this space, especially dealing with you know IT professionals or mm-hmm. or developers, because you know their um, their jobs could be on the line if things don't work out right, or you know, it could result in some late night uh, or weekend war room type activities. Um, so you know, you definitely have a little more pressure to, to you know ensure that uh, you know solutions are you know are, they are secure, they're available, they're running well, um, and, and you know, because you have a very sophisticated customer base there. Right. Yeah, it's it's very it's very different in the interactions too, right? When you're talking to a developer, trying to troubleshoot a problem, for example, you know you can ask developers questions. Um, ask them to help you in ways that you could never ask a consumer to do, um, either because they wouldn't have the knowledge or the the capability, or you know, just you might not ask them to do that because it might be too much. So you can, it's more cooperative at times with the developers that you can actually help them, and they want to give you the, you know, whatever they have, so that they can help you solve the problem if there is one, and and try and get it done. Because as you say, I mean, their jobs might be on the line. They're, you know, they understand these things, and they, you know, they're very interested in solving it so that they can continue on. So it's a it's a different kind of interaction too on on the level of you know what what you can do together and and how you collaborate to solve problems that might come up when you're serving them. I would imagine. No. Oh, go ahead, Jason. Oh, Lori, that's particularly interesting. I mean, one one thing we're uh, definitely finding is when we get customers talking to each other, uh, you know, you have developers or architects talking to each other, you end up with, you know, you discover a whole whole host of things that you really hadn't thought about as far as use cases or how they intend to use the the products. Are you finding that out there at all? Oh, yes. Yes. Because they've got, you know, the things they want to do are, you know, usually you know, sometimes they're fairly, you know, common and, and, you know, it's easy to answer and you anticipated that. And other times you're like, I would never have thought to do that. And, you know, you want to know why, but you also want to help and you watch them, you know, come up with this new way to do something. And it's, it's enlightening, not only from the perspective of, wow, you know, you just, that's a cool thing to do, but also from a, you know, just learning yourself how to kind of step outside the box that you're in and think about it from someone else's perspective. So it really helps in, you know, how you support them and, and the tools you provide to them, you know, and, and again, how you interact with them to, uh, to build out, you know, new solutions in the future. Yeah. I'm um, so that, that made me start thinking too, that Jason had a question for you that, that, um, that I read an article on, on Forbes recently and it, it dealt specifically with, with moving to, uh, to hosted cloud services or, or cloud computing, and it, it was talking about the expectations that, that enterprises have um, when deciding to make a move like that. And it was really interesting that, that these expectations were not um, only, uh, uh, they were not unreasonable, they were absolutely kind of what what is delivered by, by making a move like that. It was things like, you know, improved quality and business growth and being able to scale, you know, getting applications uh, to, to market quicker. Uh, it was really interesting in that this, um, it, it's almost—it's not so much feedback, I guess, but but when speaking with uh, enterprises who are have not yet moved to the cloud or are in the process of doing so and are not sure kind of what to move first, that these expectations that they have are 
they're not only expected, but they're deliverable and they're absolutely what applications and, and what products like what SkyTap makes and what F5 makes are, are basically designed to do. Yeah, they've got people have got some really clear expectations of a, a lot of new technologies that are moving out there. And it's interesting to see that not only do they have them, but we're starting to ask about them in mm-hmm. all these different spaces. Not just the, here's what this can do for you, but what do you expect it to do for you? Mm-hmm. And to really get that understanding to, you know, whether it's to, to understand, you know, am I explaining it correctly and they got it or, you know, maybe, you know, they have completely different expectations of, you know, what this technology should bring to them. And, you know, cloud was initially mostly about hey, scale and cheap. Mm-hmm. Um, and over the years, we've learned, you know, it isn't, it isn't about necessarily the price. That's, be- that's becoming like a a third or fourth or, you know, not even in the top five. It's really about business growth and scalability and agility, um, the ability to do these things quickly, um, to reach, you know, their mobile market, uh, all sorts of different things that have nothing to do what, with what, you know, the technology was originally, you know, proposed that it would do. Mm-hmm. So it's been very interesting to watch that back and forth and see people start to respond to that by actually asking up front. What do you expect? What do you want out of this? And then being able to turn that around and, and use that to actually provide that mm-hmm. for the customer. So it's, a, it's very interesting to watch that transition happen. Yeah, that, I definitely agree with that. I mean, it's been, uh, the expectations have never been higher, actually. I think, mm-hmm. yeah, we're, if, uh, if something does, you know, just to get back to the topic of our uh, discussion, if, if something does have a physical equivalent, they expect it to have a, a virtual equivalent, right? Um, and that's kind of how the the market is going. Yeah, I was just going to say that 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 I wonder if these these expectations come from kind of reaching the uh, maximum level of scaling and business growth and agility and stuff that these that these uh, earlier hardware solutions are kind of able to provide, and that's why they're starting to look elsewhere. I think it's some of that. Um, I think it's some of Moore's law at work. Right. Mm-hmm. The, uh, you know, certainly, you know, compute and processing is just outstripping everything right now. You know, there's a com- computer that's the size of a grain of rice. I mean, it's just, how can you do that? Right. right. It's, that's, a, that's like more powerful than your mom's mainframe. Right. And you're like, wow. Um, so Moore's Law has really helped us, you know, get to the point where, yeah, a lot of the things that you needed, you know, very custom designed you know, internal hardware architectures to do can be matched largely by at least, you know, one or more virtual, uh, you know, things instead. And, but it's, it's not just the, the growth there because there's still, there's still large differences. I can still get a piece of hardware that a piece of software can never match, but it's more about the fact that yes, but I don't need all of that right away. And with virtualization, I can scale that Right. That's that on demand. I'm only going to, you know, have as many as I need at any one time. And I don't have to worry about outstripping it eventually. And I can just scale it up and down as much as I want that elasticity. And it's more efficient. And I think the combination of efficiency and scale and, you know, the ease with which you can deploy these things has just made people go, this is a much better model. This is what we want to use moving forward because it makes more sense from a cost perspective, from a scale perspective, and, and from a, you know, just management perspective. It just makes things easier all around. Yeah, I mean, that gets into, I mean, then it kind of gets into the idea of this lean IT or 
Um, if I'm going to address a bottleneck, and uh, maybe I'm looking at the process the wrong way if I'm not really addressing uh, bottlenecks and just delivering what's needed at that particular point in the process of development and testing and delivering uh, software to end customers. So, um, you know, that's where we're seeing, you know, if you look at it just as a commodity or just as a technology, then you're going to have a problem eventually where, where you have some kind of inventory piling up, right? Whether that's of hardware or then it's VM sprawl or it's just excess capacity that you're buying and excess, you know, uh, tooling that just isn't required anymore. Yeah, the the a lot of people that are still managing data centers were brought up to always oversubscribe everything, right? Just in case. You know, we have to unlearn and yeah. learn a new way of doing it to go back right to the beginning of our discussion. We have to, you know, cut, look at this differently. Otherwise, we lose a lot of the benefits that, you know, we could be getting. So, Laura, you mentioned still being able to get uh, you know, hardware that that can do what what software can do. I, I was curious as to what um Maybe where are some areas where, where physical systems kind of still have that upper hand uh, in regards to maybe it's performance or security or stability? And at the same time, uh, are those areas where it's definitely being um, – uh, we're definitely seeing that upper hand kind of shrink due to virtualization and, and, and cloud solutions? Well, I think – uh, for the most part, you still see a lot of the, the core network is going to be hardware. Hmm. Um, not because it's hardware or because the hardware is, you know, 10 times faster than you could buy off the shelf, but because it, there's an internal architecture there, right? We do crossbar architectures inside and backplanes and all sorts of interesting things inside of a, a network device, uh, you know, that's routing or switching. That's um, very difficult to duplicate on you know, a, a more general purpose compute platform. Mm -hmm. And that means that it's going to get more bandwidth, more throughput, more port density, all these kind of things. And when you're aggregating a big network, you know, it's just really hard to do that with 15 different, you know, pieces of hardware or 15 different, you know, virtual things. Um, so, you know, in the network, you're still, still going to see a lot of that, not necessarily, uh, you know, because there isn't the power, but just it's an architectural issue. Um, it's just completely different, and that happened in the you know late '90s, right? When we figured out that we had to architect internally how things were switched and routed differently because the traditional model just wasn't keeping up, in and out, just not enough. We could not do that; it was just filling up too fast. But when you start moving into the network and you start moving closer to the application, the closer you get, those kinds of solutions, even if they're traditionally network solutions, are going virtual. Because it makes sense to do that, because they ha there is enough power to do that, and because of the architecture, the application architectures, and the whole model in which they're deployed is going towards something that requires more flexibility, agility, rapidity, right? It just has to be fast. I have to be able to bring this up and down, you know, in a matter of hours, not take two weeks to order something and put it in place in a rack. So it's, you know, as you're moving through that network, it's getting, you know, very blurry in the middle, but closer, closer to the application, all those things are going to be, you know, software, whether it's caches, which were traditionally hardware or load balancers we're seeing moving toward, you know, completely software. All these kinds of things are just going software, because they need to be very fast and very able to be in the cloud just as easily as they're anyplace else. And so that means they have to go software in order to fit that model and really be available for those applications. Yeah, I mean, that's part of what we do. I mean, we would use 
I mean, there there would be um, F5, you know, there'd be an F5 box in the network center, and then we would have virtual ones that, you know, we or end customers might use all the way up until you get to that point, right? Um, and so all all of these sorts of uh, models, they need you need a way to kind of have a uh, a sandbox, or I used to always compare it to a wild west town that you walk into, and it's just all of the uh, the fake buildings. But if you were <laughs> if you were to actually live there, then you would have to you know create a better scenario than that. But it's just fine for when you're um, you know trying to come up with ideas or innovate or deliver something quickly. And you know we we just need to uh, you know decouple ourselves from uh, depending on too much, and then. Uh, as we get closer to the real thing, uh, making sure we're validating uh, as closely to that as we can. So to kind of uh, to, to start to kind of wrap this up a little bit, just to, again to get back to the uh, the original abstract and question, is it is it you know are, are the two of you able to possibly see an end of the road for for hardware at, at, at some point due to you know lots of factors the 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 rate of innovation that's going on right now and uh, will continue and will increase, and the the cloud solutions that are kind of springing up, you know, left and right. Is it is it possible, or are you are you able to actually see an, an actual end to the physical reality, as we were calling it, or are there are there going to be places where hardware is still going to not so much even have certain advantages, but but still be necessary uh, in in this field? Well, let's. I'll I'll divide it into two answers because the first one is well you always need to have hardware for resources whether whether everything you're doing is virtual or not there still has to be hard even if it's just like one big giant like the whole data center floor is just like one giant circuit board it just pops up like virtual things that'd be so awesome Mm -hmm. Um, but you still need some hardware that the resources have to come from somewhere the the question comes more do you need to have you know do you ever need to have custom silicone to do anything, right? Could we just envision a world in which everything is just running on just whatever compute we could find and it's all virtual? And, you know, that's possible. I think, you know, it's, it, it really depends on the scale of what you're doing and where you go. I mean, that's, it's a, it would be interesting to get inside a, you know, very large data center, a cloud, and, you know, take a look and see what hardware is running where. Mm-hmm. And see what's being used. I think really what's more important is not necessarily whether it's using custom hardware here or there, but whether or not it is virtualized itself and is able to fit into that world where everything appears at least to be virtual. Where basically you don't have to care whether it's running on my hardware or you know Bob's hardware. That world is definitely possible. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going there and I think we're actually getting very close um, you know, the the more that we go, and the further down the road, and in the into you know programmability, and we're using APIs and DevOps is here, and cloud, and all these things are kind of this perfect storm of heading to that world where nobody cares about the hardware. It's all been abstracted up a layer, so that all we're dealing with there this this virtual world, um, and that's how we build everything. And I think that's where we're, we will end up eventually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's a great perspective, Lori. I I uh I agree with that. And I also kind of see it as a uh I think we'll move more toward um virtualizing processes or or workflows or things that we're trying to do rather than um 
the software itself even. So just like we kind of abstracted the hardware, I think software itself or the you know, some of the development processes uh, you could see being virtualized as well. You know, some of the, just like we do if we're, if we're really quickly uh, cloning an entire environment that used to require you to do all this manual setup and scripting and, and batch scripts and stuff like that. Um, more of that gets complexity gets taken away from the developer and then we're going to expect them to think more in process terms or innovating around you know what people are going to do with the technology yeah yes uh, and then just for a uh, real quick lastly uh, just a chance for you to each kind of get to talk about something that that you're currently uh, uh, working on or seeing in, in some way in, in your own organization uh, is there something Lori that's going on at F5 in regards to virtualization that's uh, either something that you're excited to be working on or be talking about, introducing, sharing with the rest of the world that, that's kind of impressing you the most these days? Wow. I, you know, and it, it kind of falls along the lines, I think, of, you know, the, you know, process and automation and orchestration, mm -hmm. right? Abstracting those kinds of things up. Um, as Jason was just saying, pulling that up, you know, doing more orchestration, building out platforms that are really, you know, virtualizing that aspect of doing all of this deployment and provisioning and configuration and management. You know, even mm -hmm. things like scheduling backups or maintenance windows or, you know, all these kind of things that people have to do. Nobody wants to talk about, um, but that they have to get done in order to, you know, move the business forward all the time. And being able to, you know, basically make those virtual, automate them, orchestrate them, kind of, you know, just have them running um, themselves. So those kinds of things are, are very exciting. That's something that, you know... Um, and it sounds weird coming from a company that's doing services, right? But, you know, the you, you've got to have some sort of management back there. And it's really more about orchestration and automation these days than it is just simple, you know, management and, and monitoring. So that's very exciting stuff. Yeah. And then you, Jason? That's cool. It would be hard to beat that. Yeah, it's pretty good. It's um, pretty great. <laughs> you know, what? I, I guess since I am in, in a uh, marketing role, I'm really enjoying um, – you know how the discussion is advancing. You know, getting to talk to to uh, people like Lori about this and um, some of the other analysts in the space who are really seeing um, you know some interesting things happening. It's made it a uh, a big change from where we used to be, where we're talking about you know what's this vendor going to do with this specific application suite. Um, where, you know, where you could have thousands of people who basically were were hanging on, uh, you know, the next thing that a particular vendor would say about their suite of applications. And now, um, you've seen a you know a big democratization of this whole idea of what is enterprise software. And uh, you know, we still have what we're still having to bring along what we had before, but what's being developed now is kind of a it's a different generation, a different mindset. So I think that's what's uh, been exciting. Yeah. Me. Well, I think we actually managed to answer this heavily weighted question that we had at the very beginning of will virtualization and cloud finally beat physical reality at its own application availability game? At least for me personally, I think that I can say that it will beat it, but without eliminating it. Kind of like Lori, like you were saying, there's, there's always <laughs> going to be hardware, but then Jason, like you were saying, we're, we're becoming less dependent on it uh, for, 
you know, th these processes and, and management and, and monitoring and all those kind of things, and that will be uh, dependent on it to simply maybe just stay on, you know, to, to not overheat, to not burn out as it's performing all these things, but that, that our dependency on these, on, on, on these things to keep applications available, that will decrease as we uh, kind of shift that dependency and uh, becoming reliant on, on, on other things like, like virtualization. That is all that I have today. I appreciate both of you taking part in this. Uh, again, this was Laurie McVitie, the Principal Technical Evangelist at F5, and Jason English, our Galactic Head of Product Marketing here at SkyTap. Thank you both so much. Thanks, Noel. Thanks, Laurie. Thanks, Noel. Thanks, Jason. That is going to wrap it up for the first ever edition of DevOps, brought to you by SkyTap. If you enjoyed the content of today's show, I invite you to follow us on our blog at skytap.com backslash blog for more commentary on software development, testing, cloud, and even more. Or visit us at LinkedIn, Twitter, or Facebook. Until next time, keep your head in the clouds and your DevOps fresh. I'm Noel Wurst for SkyTap. <laughs>